You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Beckett Cook Show. I'm Beckett Cook, and today I want to talk about an article I read in the New York Times last week. And the article is about, quote-unquote, liberal Christianity. And, of course, the New York Times loves to write positively about liberal Christianity, which we'll get to later, but it's not Christianity at all. But when it comes to writing about uh, actual genuine Christianity, the the New York Times uh, writes in a very contemptuous tone. So I just want to start with this this article and go through it and then talk about where liberal Christianity even came from, where liberal theology came from, and and then talk about the the biblical understanding of Christianity. So first, let's look at the article. The title of the article is In Biden's Catholic Faith, an Ascendant Liberal Christianity. So and then the subtitle is President Biden, perhaps the most religiously observant commander in chief in half a century, speaks of how his Catholic faith grounds his life and his policies. So it's all about Joe Biden and his Catholic faith and how he's this kind of very religious, observant Catholic. But we'll see how this kind of breaks down as we go on in the article. It's later, it says, hours before President Biden took the oath of office, he entered the front pew of the Cathedral of St. Matthew the Apostle, the seat of Catholic Washington, and beheld mosaics behind the altar. So immediately, <laughs> the, the writer is just giving you this kind of sense of awe and this aura of religiosity and how kind of amazing it is that Joe Biden would be in this kind of religious environment. And she goes on to say that the homily uh, that was preached by by the priest in the church uh, says the following, your public service is animated by the same conviction to help and protect people and to advance justice and reconciliation, especially for those who are too often looked over and left behind. And yes, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful Christian um, kind of biblical ethic to to love those, to love your neighbor, to love the poor, and the oppressed. But that's missing kind of the big, big picture. So let me just go on in this article. It says, there are myriad changes with the incoming Biden administration. One of the most significant, a president who has spent a lifetime steeped in Christian rituals and practices. So the writer of this article is, is somehow captivated by the idea of being steeped in rituals and practices 
rather than being steeped in the gospel, being steeped in being united to Christ, being steeped in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of this exterior, kind of almost pharisaical understanding of religion. It's rituals and practices. That's what the writer is obsessed with right now. And so she goes on to say, Mr. Biden, perhaps the most religiously observant commander in chief in half a century regularly attends mass and speaks of how his Catholic faith grounds his life and his policies. So this idea of regularly attending mass somehow is, is amazing to, according to this writer. And as we will see in a little bit, attending mass or going to church or, uh, going to church every single day of your life doesn't it's completely meaningless unless your foundation is Jesus Christ and and the gospel but we're we're going to get in more into that in a minute and then he it goes on to say and with Mr. Biden a different more liberal christianity is ascendant less focused on sexual politics and more on combating poverty, climate change, and racial inequality. And so again, there's this like bifurcation of, of God's, uh, God's law, basically. And yes, of course, we're, as Christians, we're, we're supposed to be concerned with the poor and the oppressed. We're supposed to, uh, be good stewards of the environment. Yes, that's and, and racial inequality, of course, that's part of it. But throwing out the biblical sexual ethic is is completely unbiblical. So um, we're going to get more into that too. So uh, it goes on to say, Mr. Biden's leadership is a repudiation of the claim by many conservative leader, leaders that Democrats are inherently anti-Christian. And then she goes on to say, yet the current influence of liberal Christianity in the Democratic Party goes beyond Mr. Biden. And she mentions Raphael Warnock, Cori Bush, who is a pastor, apparently, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. And it says, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez connects her Catholic faith with her push for reforming healthcare and environmental policy. Now, what healthcare has to do with the gospel, I'm not quite sure. I mean, maybe there's a tangential relationship, but it's 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 very strange that that's her push. Now, it goes on to say she has said her favorite Bible story, AOC's favorite Bible story is the one where Jesus in anger threw money changers out of the temple. That's her favorite Bible story. What about the part where Jesus dies on the cross and is raised from the dead three days later and took on the punishment for our sin so that we might have eternal life, that he was the he, he was the atonement. He atoned for our sins on the cross. What about that part of the Bible? I think that's probably my. <laughs> My favorite part of the Bible. And so it goes on to say, in his inaugural address, Mr. Biden quoted Augustine, St. Augustine. And he says, a saint at my church who wrote that a people was a multitude defined by common objects of their love. 
Now, plucking this kind of quote out of City of God, which is Augustine's tome, it's a huge masterpiece by Augustine. He plucks out this this quote and, uh, you know, a text taken out of context is the pretext for a proof text, as D.A. Carson would say. And he takes this quote out and it's kind of meaningless. And what, what Augustine is talking about is the common objects of our love as believers is God and neighbor. Those are the common objects of our love. And so it's very bizarre and vague that he would use that quote. And, it, and it's kind of the way he used it is meaningless. Um, and then it talks about in the article that Joe Biden is a supporter of abortion rights. And uh, of course, that's very problematic because as Christians, if you are a Christian and you're a, a genuine Christian, a committed Christian who has been born again, there is, it's, it's impossible. You cannot square that circle. There's no way you could be pro-choice and be a genuine believer because you are effect effectively in favor of murdering image bearers of God. And so, I mean, I talked about abortion in a previous video, so go look at that if you want. But I just have to say very clearly, you cannot be a Christian and be pro-choice. It's a square circle. It's an elderly baby. It doesn't exist. You, you can't have both. I mean, and there may be Christians out there who are listening who maybe don't even kind of realize the, the gravity of the situation that you about being pro-choice and being a Christian. But um, just again, look at that video I did on abortion. And it's just it's an impossibility to to be pro-choice and be a Christian. So that's a huge red flag uh, right there, of course. It says at the end of this article it says the grassroots progressive Christian movement is center stage in Mr. Biden's Washington. And again, the New York Times, if it comes to progressive Christianity, they love to talk about it. They love to write about it. They're just they're just happy to do it because because it's essentially not Christianity at all. It's it's a false gospel. It's a false Christianity. And so where did this come from? Where did Christian liberalism come from? Because that's the title of this article in Biden's Catholic faith and ascendant liberal Christianity. Where did liberal Christianity come from? Well, it came from the 19th century and out of Europe, mostly Germany. And in the 19th century, the world was getting smaller. Communication was easier. Travel was, is, was even easier. And there was a new science that emerged out of Europe and it was, it was comparative religion. And so it was kind of this effort to compare religions of the East and the West. So Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, etc. And there was an effort to discover what the core that, that, that was running through all the religions of the world. And there were, there were basic commitments in the, in this movement in the 19th century. And there's a German uh, theologian and church historian named Adolf Harnack, Harnack, Harnack. And he wrote a, a little book called What is Christianity? And it was a very popular book. And he wanted to find out what 
the essence of Christianity was? What what was the what was the basic essential Christian doctrine? What was what was the essence of it all? And he sought to look beyond kind of the myths and the leg- legends and the sagas and really just focus on what it was all about, what Christianity really, really was. And at the core, what he found at the core of all religions was basically a concern for ethics. And at the core of Christianity was this was this concern for for ethics. So basically, it was anti-supernatural. His book was anti-supernatural. So there was no virgin birth, no miracles, no resurrection of Jesus, no angels, etc. So basically, it was all about the the teaching of Jesus, kind of like the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, the ethical teachings of him and his kind of moral life that he led and how he was a great example for us. So it just completely uh, vacated the Bible of all of its power, vacated God of all of his power of resurrection and, and et cetera, the virgin birth, and sought to look at the Bible through this lens of this like moral, ethical uh, lens and to, to find out what, you know, what it was like to be like Jesus. And so Harnack, Adolf Harnack reduced Christianity to two foundational concepts. The universal fatherhood of God, number one, and number two, the universal brotherhood of man. Now, that maybe at first, when you first hear that, that kind of sounds good, the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. But the irony of that is it's completely not biblical. It's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's not the language of scripture. And so these concepts are not not found anywhere in the Bible. Um, And so because we are by nature, when it comes to the universal fatherhood of God, human beings are by nature children of wrath. I mean, even, you know, when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, he calls them he says, you are of the, of the father, you are of your father, the devil and not. And so the, the only time we, God becomes our father is when we are adopted into his kingdom. And that only happens with the new birth. When you're born again, you become adopted into God's kingdom. And then, then we can call God our father. So there is no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God. Uh, when we're adopted, that's why we can, we can say the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As Christians, we can say that prayer because he is now our father. And so that, that concept is completely erroneous and false. And only Christ is the natural son of God. But once we are united to Christ through our, through being saved, once we're united to Christ, we suddenly become sons and daughters of of God. So therefore, we can call him father. Now, to get to the brotherhood of man, that again, that sounds like a great lovey-dovey concept, but the brotherhood of man is distinctive and restrictive and special to those who are in Christ. That's why when I got saved 11 years ago, I suddenly had this 
giant family around the world. I'm spiritually related to millions, if not billions of people around the world. And so that, that is what the brotherhood of man is. Um, and, and those who, those who are in Christ are invited to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and were marked by this, the sign of baptism and we're in the family of God. And so, yes, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in Christ, that makes you a brother and sister in Christ. So this, this universal brotherhood of man is an, another kind of false gospel. It's a false concept. And, but on the, on the other hand, there is a universal neighborhood of man. In other words, Jesus said, all of the law can be summed up to, into two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. So we are to, as Christians, we are to love our neighbor. So there's this, um, we treat everyone with dignity and justice and righteousness and charity. That I mean, we are to do that as Christians. And Jesus gives that great example in the Bible, in the Gospels of the Good Samaritan and, and what that meant to love your neighbor. And there was a reaction to 19th century liberalism, Christian liberalism. And that reaction was called, and this was at the turn of the century. So the late uh, 19, the late 1800s, early 1900s, the reaction was called fundamentalism. Now, I know that word is very scandalous to say today, but what fundamentalism was, was just a response of classical Christian scholarship. And, but today it sounds that when you say a fundamentalist, if someone is a fundament, fundamentalist, so today, if you say someone is a fundamentalist, it means kind of like they're anti-intellectual or primitive or legalistic. But what it really meant back then, it was just a reaction to liberal theology and it was going back to the fundamentals of the faith. What are the, what's the essence of Christian doctrine? What is the essence of Christianity? What is the core of it that is non-negotiable? And B.B. Warfield was a professor of theology at Princeton during this time. And he said at that time when, when 19th century liberal theology was widely prevalent, he said that they were not only reject they weren't just they weren't just rejecting mere peripheral matters but foundational matters the incarnation the atonement the resurrection etc and he said if you negotiate the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you negotiate the resurrection you negotiate christianity so basically he's saying if you negotiate the resurrection you don't have Christianity doesn't exist. And, and at stake is the authority of scripture and the, the historical creeds of the church, like the, the Nicene creed and the, the apostles creed, the Chalcedonian creed that's at stake. And basically 19th century liberal theology is simply unbelief. It's just unbelief. It's it's I, I can't believe in the supernatural. I can't believe in the miracles of Jesus. I can't believe in the virgin birth. That's that seems way too impossible for God to do. I can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So basically, so it's, it's fundamentally unbelief. And that's what this article is all about. It's all about basically unbelief because it's, it's, it's a liberal progressive theology, Christianity. And this kind of Christianity doesn't just redefine Christ. It takes Christ away altogether. And that's the problem with it, obviously. I mean, it's deeply, deeply problematic, even though I don't like to use that word. But people might say, well, this priest who gave this homily at this church where Joe Biden was, I mean, surely he's a devout believer. I mean, he's got to be. He's got to be a devout Christian. And and certainly pastors, you know, every pastor who exists must be a devout Christian. But the problem with that is the Pharisees were devout religious people and they murdered Jesus. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how devout and how religious. I mean, you have to justify your job. If you're a minister in the church and you're getting paid and you're, you have a building and you're not a genuine believer, you have to justify your, your income and your existence by, and, and, and you can't, you can't really wrap your head around the supernatural. So you just have to, to change everything to fit, to fit what can, you can comprehend as a human being. And so again, the, the only way a pastor or a minister can be can preach the truth can preach uh can 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 preach orthodox christianity is when that person has been born again has been born from above from the spirit and has a renewed mind and a new heart because without a renewed mind how can you even preach the truth you don't have a renewed mind in Christ. You don't have the mind of Christ, as it says in the scripture. We have, as new believers, as, as, as born again believers, you have the mind of Christ, which is kind of stunning, but it is stunning. And if you, if you're a minister and you don't have the mind of Christ, you need to get out of the pulpit because you're not helping anyone. You're just leading people all the way down a path of destruction. And I just want to end on this passage in 1 Corinthians from Paul, the Apostle Paul, which kind of says it all. Paul, who is amazing as always, he just says, he's so great. He says, and he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if, if you don't believe Christ was raised from the dead, there's no reason for you to keep going to that church that doesn't believe that. There's zero reason. It's just, you might as well just go to brunch. And Paul goes on to say, you know, say, talking about if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, 
you're still we're all still in our sins and we're all headed to hell we're all headed to destruction we're all under the wrath of god if christ wasn't raised from the dead then this is all meaningless that being a christian is completely meaningless so i just want to end on that and i just want to say that there's no such thing as liberal or conservative christianity there's only biblical christianity that's it biblical christianity and historic christianity that's it and so i hope that helped you um and i hope that edified you and thank you for watching today and i will i will see you next week on the becca cook show thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett cook show your support makes this content possible all episodes of the Beckett cook show are also available on youtube for more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.